you ask, what's the difference between the good and the great player? The good and the great player, the, the great player owns the mental part of the game. He's not only instinctual in whatever part of the game is, you know, which can be a learned behavior, but he's also has the ability to overcome adversity and he uses it to make him better. Hey, this is Cal Walters with the Intentional Leader Podcast. I first want to thank you for joining us here today. Our mission is to help you intentionally lead yourself, inspire others, and make the world a better place. I hope you enjoy this message. Let's go make it count. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 63 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to bring you my conversation with Ben Kotwika. He's a West Point graduate. He's a former helicopter pilot, not just a helicopter pilot, but an Apache helicopter pilot. He's also an NFL coach. He coached for the Jets, the Washington football team, and the Atlanta Falcons. It's going to be a great episode with a lot of wisdom for you as a leader. Hey, if you're new to this show, first of all, I just want to say thank you for being here today. We release a new episode every two weeks, and our goal on this show is to add extreme value to you as a leader during the time that we have together. If you want to be sure to get new episodes every two weeks when they come out, just subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I want to give a special thank you to all of you that have shared this podcast with your network on social media. I see you out there, and I really appreciate you helping to get the word out. Also, a special thank you to all of you that have rated or reviewed this podcast on Apple Podcasts. I want to give a shout out to Allie Platter, who recently left a five-star review. She said, I am four episodes in. This podcast, Cal Walters, the distinguished and accomplished guest that he chats with, reignited my passion for leadership. Topics of leadership are discussed with humility, a focus on serving others, and an emphasis on empowering and showcasing the talents of one's team. Some of the issues discussed are so familiar to me, but were posed with a perspective I was unfamiliar with. This empowered me to look at it with a new lens and renewed motivation to be better and do better. Now, excuse me, I'm going to bend and catch up on all the episodes currently available. Allie, thank you so much. That gets me so fired up. Hey, I want to tell you about our sponsor for today, Higher Echelon Incorporated. Higher Echelon is a leadership development and organizational performance consulting firm providing human capital and technology services to optimize performance. Does your team need some support? Are you struggling during these difficult times? Well, Higher Echelon can help prepare your organization to meet the rapidly changing complex and often ambiguous requirements of today's world by helping you develop resilient and adaptive leaders, modernizing and enhancing your systems, and implementing transformational technology solutions. Higher Echelon lives the values that they teach. They were recently named the 13th best workplace in consulting and professional services nationally by Great Place to Work USA. Go visit higherechelon.com to connect with the amazing team over at Higher Echelon and learn how they can help you and your team get to that next level. I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation that I had with Ben. We discussed the legendary NFL and college coach, Bobby Ross. We discussed what it's like to be an NFL coach and what separates great coaches from good coaches and what separates good players from great players at the NFL level. We talk about dealing with setbacks and Ben offers a really cool habit that he learned from coach Eric Mangini and much more. Hey, before we jump into the interview today, just two quick updates for you. Many of you listened to my conversation with Dr. Joe Ross back in January on the podcast, and I talked about one of my goals for the year was to form a team around Intentional Leader, was to form a team around this podcast, and it has been so cool 
Last month, I had my first meeting with a brand new team of people who are supporting Intentional Leader, and it was awesome. Our long-term vision was just amazing. I walked away fired up just from the energy that that team brought, but it also reminded me just how valuable a team is. And I've been on a lot of teams, sports teams. I've been a part of military teams, and it's just really neat to bring folks who are equally passionate about what we're doing here onto the team So that was neat. I just wanted to give you an update on that. Also, hey, we just started the Intentional Leader Lab Facebook group. If you're a leader who wants to go further than just what we're doing on the podcast here, if you're a leader who would benefit from having a community of leaders to help you talk through issues, help you talk through problems, help you get resources, go to the Intentional Leader Lab on Facebook, join our group, and hop in as we discuss how we can be better as leaders. It's just a community on Facebook trying to get better as leaders. If you want to get show notes for the episode today, just go visit my website, calwalters.me. And without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with NFL coach, Ben Kotwika. All right, Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being on today. Thanks, Cal. Really appreciate you having me. I'm so fascinated by your career going from the army to coaching. I'm fascinated to talk about coaching and and being in the NFL and and players, but I want to start by just asking you about your transition from an attack helicopter pilot, so Apache helicopter pilot to coaching. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, graduated from West Point, uh, 97, obviously played there and then, um, I uh, got into the army and uh, was flying helicopters. Uh, so a couple different spots, uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, went out to Korea for a year. And then I was uh, Fort Hood, Texas when the war hit 2003, 2004. So uh, the transition was uh, I was in, um, I was in Iraq and I was post company command um, and trying to figure out and navigate like where the next step was. And I always wanted to get back into coaching. So um I was a player, Cal, where uh, the coaches who coached me were always like, hey, you know, you'd be a really good coach. You know, if you get an opportunity to do this, um, you know, I, I think you'd be really good at it. So I, um, I had always kept in, in touch, as I had mentioned. Bob Sutton was my uh, head coach when I had, uh, had played at Army. And so um, I'm sitting in Kuwait. I'm actually just in a tent or whatever. And I get an email from Coach Bobby Ross, who was the head coach. Um, at army at that time. And he was, uh, looking for a guy to go back, uh, to West point, a graduate to, to help out. And, uh, to me, that was just kind of the, the star that kind of pointed me in the right direction. So, um, when I got back to the States, I accepted the offer, made the transition. And, uh, before you know it, I was, I was back at West point coaching. And, and what was the connection with between you and Bobby Ross? How did, how did he know to reach out? Was that through Bob Sutton? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, I didn't know coach Ross, who was a great man, just a really, really good, you know, great coach, obviously in the NFL, Georgia tech won the national title, uh, up at West point. Um, but a really awesome person as well, really genuine person, but I didn't know him directly and a little bit in the networking world. Um, coach, um, coach Sutton had, had kind of known him. And I think my name was out there as far as like, Hey, this guy would like to get back in and, I think that was kind of the genesis or the origin of the uh, uh, of the email, and um, went up and interviewed, and uh, we we hit it off, and uh, it ended up uh, ended up working out, and I really really enjoyed it. 
I'd love to get your perspective a little bit more on, on Coach Ross. So I remember when I I walked onto the Army football team, and so I was just you know kind of a nobody, uh, a one of you know almost a hundred people on the team. But I remember Coach Ross walking by, and of course he's this giant in the coaching world. And as a as a walk on player at Army, I'm I'm just you know seeing like a you know the celebrity walking through. But I remember him looking over and saying, "Hey, Cal, how you doing?" And I just it blew my mind that someone who had uh, obviously as much pedigree as he did and also so many players. And here I am just this random walk on and he knew my name and I, I was so impressed with that. And it was, it, and the more I got to observe him, it was, you know, typical Bobby Ross. He's just a great leader, but I'm curious from your perspective, what really stands out to you about him as a coach and as a leader? Well, I think you hit it on the head or touched base upon it. Um, a, a caring individual who generally cared about the person and, you know, cared about the player, but even more so cared about the person and took the extra time to uh, know somebody's name. I think um, one of the things, and, and again, this isn't X's and O's. This can be transcendent into any, any industry uh, because as an X's and O guy, um, as a football knowledge guy, um, you know, there's, there's not many better. Um, I think it speaks to the person. And I think he was, uh, I think the thing that was really exceptional about him was he was a genuine person. And when you had those conversations or um, those interactions, as you just pointed out, it made the player uh, feel hey, this guy really cares about me. And when you can make that connection, and I know we'll talk a little bit about leadership and coaching, I think when you can make that connection, you're digging deeper into just X's and O's. And I think that's one of the things that made Coach Ross really special. Yeah. I also remember that he was so so disciplined. After every game, it was the same routine. No matter if we won, no matter if we lost, it was the same routine. We're going to go over the film. We're going to go through this process. It seems like he was really a process guy. Uh, he also, <laughs> another just quick anecdote, like I remember being in, in, in practice and him, uh, I, there was some play that was called and for whatever reason, I, I wasn't prepared to, to run the right route and, and he laid into me. And, and I, I, you know, so it was that, it was that appreciation of, I'm going to make it clear that I care about you but also I'm not going to hold back and, and not allow, I'm not going to allow you to perform below expectations and below where I, I know you can be and what the team needs you to be. So that was also just in terms of leadership, a good lesson for me of you can kindness sometimes looks like holding people to the standard, you know, taking care of people sometimes looks like, you know, making, calling people out when they're not performing to, to where they need to be. Um, yeah, yeah, I think a couple things there. I think you, you mentioned with Coach Ross as far as process. I think um, a couple things that popped out with me during our time together was attention to detail, um, really, uh, really on point in regard to the finer points of, of the game or a technique or a fundamental. And then it was really the, really the little things. And I think that, um, you know, his, his focus on, on the little things to, to, to make sure that everybody was held to a standard was, was, was pretty impressive. And so um, those are a couple of things that really resonate with, with coach. I want to talk to you a little bit about excellence and I'd like to cover this in, in two different ways. One in terms of coaching and also in terms of being a player, what do you think it really takes to be an excellent coach? Because I, obviously there's a lot of leaders that are listening to this and sometimes there's some similarities 
between being a good leader and being a really good coach. What do you think really makes someone an excellent coach? Yeah, I think there's there's a handful of theories and, and thoughts out there regarding like coaching and leadership, and that's a big um, umbrella unto itself. Um, when, when you talk about being a great coach, I, I think there's a couple things that come to mind. Um, I think first off, you, you got to be competent. Um, I think you got to care. Uh, and I, I really think you got to be really good communicator, um, especially in our business. So um, just to unpack a couple of those things, uh, competence, right? You, you got to know what you're doing. Um, because uh, especially at the higher level, Cal, players will see through that. Um, players will will know if you're um if you're not being authentic with them or you're not helping them. And I think that's one of the things that all players want is they want to know from a coach how, especially at the NFL level, how you're going to make them better. What technique, what uh, fundamental, what are you teaching them that's going to take them to a place they couldn't go by themselves? So I think that's very, very important. Uh, when I talk about confidence, I think you, as a coach, you got to be willing to grow. You got to be willing to adapt. You got to be willing to learn. I think those are, uh, a couple things. Um, I mentioned character. I think you got to be a good person. I think you got to be loyal to the group. Um, I think sometimes you got to make those tough decisions where you're making a decision that's in the interest of the team. Um, I, I think that always comes first. Um, and then probably the most important thing is you got to be a caring communicator. And I think that as a coach, you're a teacher and an educator first. Um, you, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to give information to, to help that player uh, perform his task. And in this COVID world, especially last year, that was very, you know, I think teachers across America are finding that, you know, the virtual world and stuff is a challenging. So I think that's where adapting comes in. But I think above all that, I think it's the player to coach relationship. You mentioned it. And I think it's how coach Ross made you feel um, in two parts. One, when he recognized your name, there was a feeling there. And number two is when he for lack of a better term, called you out or made you accountable um, uh, for that. And I think that's something that always resonated with me. And we've learned, you know, going to West Point, you learn so many things. I think one of the things that always resonated with me was, and I didn't really, you never realized it at the time, was really Schofield's definition of discipline, you know, where, and I don't have it memorized. I'm not a plebe, so I, I, I don't have it. <laughs> you I can be excused. <laughs> yeah, thank you, sir. May I have another <laughs> um, I remember a part of it saying that we will impart instruction and give commands in such a manner, in such a tone to inspire a feeling where that, 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 that player is not going to disobey. And I think that, you know, if you kind of unpack that a little bit, there's really an essence there of what coaching and leadership is. That's so good. I, I, I love uh, and for those that aren't familiar, the Schofield's definition of discipline is something that we have to memorize when you are a brand new new cadet at West Point. And uh, I, you're right. There's so much in that, that that is really valuable when you think about the relationship between a coach and a player, a leader and a team member. I want to go back to the well, the, Cal, Cal, not to not to interrupt you, but you, but you're right. Like when you think about it, like when you are a plebe, or even sometimes when you're at West Point, you're just reciting words. Yeah, like, what they mean. You're just saying them. And through the course of my experience, that is one thing that's resonated with me because great leaders and great coaches 
um, can impart their instruction in a manner and a tone in which that player feels like, Oh man, I'm letting this guy down mm-hmm. instead of, instead of a sen- instead of a feeling of resentment, you know, mm-hmm. like you just mentioned when coach Ross said that you ran the wrong route, you, you already articulated, you didn't feel resentment. You right. felt more like, Hey man, I let this guy down and right. you're a coach or a leader and you can have that influence on your players um, you know, I, I think that's when you've made that connection. And that's why I think, you know, I talked about competence, you know, character, um, being able to be a caring communicator with that player to coach relationship is, is the utmost importance. Yeah. And I think it highlights that you can have the right thing to say, but the manner in which you say it may make it wrong. So even if coach Ross wanted to, to get at, my inability to know the play or I didn't do my homework, you know, he could have said that in a, in a wrong way by being too angry or, uh, and it just highlights that as a leader, even the way we deliver, the way we interact with our team, uh, what we choose to say, how we choose to say it, all of that, all of that matters. And, and yeah. I want to go back to one thing you said, because I think yeah. it was convicting a little bit as a leader. Cause you talked about how, you know, especially at the NFL level at that high level in terms of competence, players want to know, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to make me better? How are you going to train me? And to me that I immediately started thinking about, well, that means you've got to really be on your game. You got to do your homework. You got to have integrity. You can't just be someone who's, who's faking the funk. And I wondered, does that, how does that play out in terms of, does that mean you're just spending a lot of time behind the scenes preparing? You're having to spend a lot of times thinking and preparing for those interactions with players so that you're not faking the funk so that you're not uh, bringing to them something that's not actually going to add value to them? Well, I, I think a couple things. Um, number one is preparation. Um, you know, it's your responsibility um, uh, to dig into the weeds and find those things that are going to help uh, make a difference in the game. And I think the other thing is, is it's a two way flow of communication especially at this higher level, because these are really good players who um, are, are very, very, very smart. Um, they, they understand the game. And as you mentioned, you can't, you can't fool them. So I think that um, I think that number one, you've got to do your preparation and your homework um, because you got to be on point. For instance, I mean, I was a special teams coordinator for uh, nine years and every morning um, I stood in front of, 35, 40 guys and your command and control in a room. Um, and so, you know, you gotta be on point. Um, you gotta be on point every day for about 45 minutes. And so what I mean that is, um, you've got to know your stuff and you've got to be able to have an interaction where, you know, after 20 minutes, you're not losing them. So there's also a little bit of an entertainment value there where you're keeping them engaged and there's an engagement. And then that engagement is it's a two way flow of communication. So, I think those are a key, couple key elements uh, in order to do that. It, I'm curious because it seems like to me, NFL players in a way have arrived. I mean, they they've gotten to the NFL. They've uh, you know obviously are making a significant amount of money. Is it hard to coach NFL players? I'm just curious because I I would imagine that you know when you compare that to college, you know college players you would seem would be hungry and they're still trying to get to the NFL. But then you get to the NFL. 
and there's this at least perception that these players have have already arrived and, and there's not much that they're going to get from a coach or they're not going to be open to being coachable. What, what's your experience with that? Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's hard. Um, I would say it's a privilege uh, because it challenges you. Um, when you're dealing with somebody that's in the highest level of their industry, it's an absolute privilege to do that. And so as a coach, it challenges you because, um, and you will hear that all the time, um, with uh, the Brady's and the Breeze, because you know they're sharp and they 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 challenge the coach um, to make them better, and I think that's um, that's part of it. I, I you know is there challenges? Sure, I mean they're um, they are players that are at the highest level of their profession. I, I I don't think it's I don't know hard's the right word. It's challenging and it's challenging because um, they are sharp. They are good at what they do and. Um, you don't want to, you don't want to let them down. And you, uh, and when I mean let them down, that's going to a meeting unprepared. That's um, uh, not being uh, at your best because they're going to give you their best. So I wouldn't use the word hard there, Cal. I would use the word challenging, but uh, again, it's a, it's an absolute privilege uh, to have that opportunity to do that. So you've seen a lot of players you've seen, I'm sure. I mean, if obviously if they're at the NFL, they're, they're elite but between the the good and the truly great players that you've worked with or observed, what do you think is the separator? What are some of the commonalities between those players that perform at kind of the average elite level and the truly great sustained excellence level? Well, here's something I would share with you. I, I think uh, a huge element of it is the intangibles. And I would take you through an athlete's journey. And what do I mean by that? And I don't mean to get too deep or philosophical. Um, I've got kids and they play at a youth level. So it doesn't matter what's for, okay? For the most part, at the lower levels of athletics, the big kid is going to win. It doesn't matter whether it's baseball. It doesn't matter whether it's football, basketball, the bigger, faster kid wins. So the talent differential, right? The physical talent differential is going to be at a very high margin. Now, as those players continue to grow, as those players continue to grow, the talent differential gets smaller and smaller. It's smaller when they get to high school. It's smaller when they get to college. And so when they get to a higher professional level, whether it be in basketball or baseball or in football, the physical differential, while there still are exceptions that are tremendously talented people, the overall talent differential is, is much smaller. So that's where I say that the intangible part comes into it, the mental part of the game that, um, you know, is very, very important. I think on that side is that, you know, if you ask like a parent, like, hey, what part of the game is mental? You know, many of them would say, uh, you know, 50% or 60%. But the, then on the contrary, do like, well, how often do you change? Do, do you, you know, do you work that? Do you uh, um, instruct that? And it's minimal. So my point is, is that you ask, what's the difference between the good and the great player? The good and the great player, the, the great player, owns the mental part of the game. He's not only instinctual in whatever part of the game is, um, you know, which can be a learned behavior, but he's also has the ability to overcome adversity and he uses it to make him better. Um, you know, I mentioned Brady before, you know, Brady has always used that adversity as a motivator uh, to, to, to get better, whether it was when he was in high school, whether it was when he was at college behind Drew Henson at Michigan, or whether he was in the NFL behind, um, you know, Bledsoe, you know, before he got hurt. So um, that that mental 
part of the game is 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 huge, and I think that's that's one of the differentials between the good and the great player. I want to ask you about your experience coaching with Rex Ryan. Uh, I wonder if you could share just some uh, kind of initial kind of impressions of him as a coach. And then if I wonder if you could share any, any just stories that stand out to you from your time w- with Rex. Yeah. Uh, Rex was, was awesome. So um, I was with the jets for two years and then there was a coaching change and then Rex came in and uh, as a, a ball of fire, uh, a, a big personality, um, outgoing, uh, great staff, um, great people, um, uh, just really a, a, an energetic guy. Uh, I would say that uh, it was, it, you know, he, he was a guy that you'd like to go sit down and kind of have a beer with and sit down and chat it up. And he was, he was like that. Um, you know, there's a handful of stories there. I, um, I remember, you know, one where we were in a cold game against Cincinnati where uh, we had the plastic pants on. It was late in uh, December and, you know, he's standing as close as he can to the fire and I'm on the headset and you can hear him talk about how his pants got caught on fire. And I also remember another one when we were up at Cortland where um, Cortland was where we did training camp and it was one of those hot, long practices and, you know, a couple of fights had broken out and finally enough was enough. Um, we had had like three or four. So he put them on the line like Herb Brooks did in the, um, in the movie Miracle. And so my job, I was the assistant special teams guys. I was the dude with the whistle. So if you can remember in the, in the movie when, you know, Herb Brooks would put him on the line and he was like, again. And so, you know, Rex was, <laughs> and Bart Scott, who was another great personality, uh, was out there and these guys are running. And when we were up there, we used to have chicken for lunch, for breakfast. I mean, we had chicken with everything. And so I can remember Bart Scott yelling at Rex. He's like, Rex, it's not the guys. It's the chicken. We got chicken for lunch. We got chicken soup. We got chicken salad. Oh, let us go. We're sorry, Rex. And so, you know, busted and busted into laughter and such. So, uh, but really, really, uh, just a really cool time uh, to be with with him, and uh, very fortunate to be part of his staff. Oh, I, I, yeah, I can only imagine. And uh, it, it's neat to to watch him now in, in that role and uh, seems like the perfect role for him now. Um, yeah. I want to ask you about setbacks and dealing with with those. I, obviously, it's easy to look at you and your career and see you know, NFL, West Point, Army pilot. I mean, there's so many am- amazing achievements you've had, but like all great achievers and performers, I'm sure there have been setbacks that you've had to deal with. And, and I think this is also a, life is an analogy for, for the game of football. I mean, there are setbacks during the game that you have to deal with. There are setbacks, I'm sure, during the season that you have to deal with and setbacks in life. So I was wondering if you could just share with us what you've learned about how to, how to process failure and setbacks and how, how to use that in your life to, to continue on and to grow from it. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think a handful of things. Um, you know, I think in, when you talk about like dealing with 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 setbacks, um, you know, I think the first thing you got to do is you got to kind of focus where your feet are. Um, there's a lot of times you could get caught up in the in the periphery of things, and I think that's one of the things that West Point really te- West Point in sports really teach you. You know, you mentioned you know the analogy to the NFL level and where you do have, uh, you know, setbacks, but one of the great things at West Point teaches you 
is is failure. Um, you know, when you talk about the things that you got to be successful there, whether it's militarily, athletically, or academically, it's very hard to be, uh, you know, the top of the world on all three of those pillars. And so, um, you know, for me, uh, there's there's been multiple setbacks, and I think that um, you know it's the way that you handle them. I just think back to my time when I was at West Point, as you were talking about that. I mean. Um, you know, I got to West Point and I was a rock swimmer. I mean, I couldn't swim from here to there. I was drowned in the pool my freshman year. And it was like, okay, how are we getting through this? Or whether it was like a beast barracks, you know, trying to get through that or on the athletic field, going to mass athletics and up to the football stadium. And you're a five, nine, hundred and 190 pound linebacker. And, you know, you're third on the depth chart and the varsity hasn't even shown up yet. And it's like, okay, so how is this working? Like, what? Like I'm third on the depth chart and the varsity hasn't even shown up yet. And so, you know, and even now, um, you know, talking about setbacks, you know, I was with the, I was, I've been in the NFL for 15 years. I've been a coordinator for nine and um, you know, I got let go by the Falcons. And so that's, uh, that's tough. It's challenging. It's not something that um, happens overnight, but it's something that just, you know, you just tell yourself that, Hey, you're going to get through it. You're going to continue to grow and you're going to come out the other end, a better, you know, a, a better person. How, how do you, where, what do you go to? So you're obviously you just mentioned uh, the dealing with right now, a present setback with the, the Falcons. How do you process that? So for the leaders out there who right now are going through a setback, what are some things that you go to, whether mentally or with your community how do you specifically process that and know kind of, Hey, we're going to get to a better place. Well, I, I would say it's not easy. And I, I, I mean, I don't have the approved solution for it. Um, I, I, I just, uh, I think it's, it's, it's challenging. I think that, um, you know, your support community helps, you know, Hey, you're, you know, it's going to work out and, and that kind of deal, but there are still those moments where, you know, and whatever. And I'm just using what, you know, the experience that I'm going through right now where you're, you're up and you're, you're trying to navigate like, okay, so how am I getting out on the other, on the other end of that? And so um, I do think there's an element of persistence. There's an element of resolve. Um, but, but you've got to be an active participant in your survival. I kind of use the, you know, the rules of the river. If you've ever gone whitewater rafting, right. You know, one of the first things is, you know, if you get thrown overboard, you get your ass back in the boat. All right. Don't wait for somebody else to come. So there's an element of where uh, you've got to be an active participant, um, you know, in your survival. So that that's what I would I would say. And I think that you just you assess it and say, OK, so here are the things that, you know, I need to do in order to whatever the challenge may be. Right. Sit back put emotion aside and say, okay, because there's going to be that time where you're trying to rationalize reality. You know, there's going to be that time, whatever that setback may be, the uh, woe is me. Uh, why me? Why him? Why, why did that happen? Um, but sometimes that's just, that's just the way the world works and you take that breath and keep moving forward. So again, uh, Cal, I, I mean, I, again, I don't have the approved solution for it, but um, you know, it is something that uh, you just got to be resilient and, and keep working towards. Yeah. It's interesting. Even just hear you talk through West Point and, and all of the micro moments that, that make up West Point. And you mentioned, I think I've heard you say before that one of the things West Point teaches you 
it, it or it, it does for you is it shows you that, that you can fail and then you can learn from that failure and then you can fail some more <laughs> and then you can learn from that failure. And it's for me, what it's done is it created these reference points that I can go to. It's like, okay, well, I, I know that that, I remember that that was really hard. I remember that that was a moment where I didn't know, think I was going to make it through. And then I did. And then it's like, okay, all right. I, I, and then it, it, it almost creates this scar tissue that, that over time, or it's like breaking down a bone or, or a muscle that just gets stronger and stronger and stronger over time. Um, and of course now I'm trying to teach that to my, my, <laughs> my seven-year-old, but, but you know, you see your kids and you see them in the moment of struggle. And of course they don't have those reference points yet. Uh, they don't have those, the, they don't know that it's going to be okay when, you know, you, they, they lose something that they really care about or when they're going through a struggle. Um, so, so yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Sure. And, that, and that's what's sometimes difficult, right? It's, it's difficult sometimes to say, okay, your 10 year old son just struck out twice in the baseball game. Hey, keep battling. You know, it's, it's easier to look on the other side of the glass through the pane glass window and say, Hey man, listen, it's going to be okay. Keep mm -hmm. swinging the bat. Right. Yes. You know, almost like the Babe Ruth analogy. You know, they asked Babe Ruth, hey, what did you think about after you struck out? And he said, the next home run. And so, you know, that's a, that's a little bit of an element there. And so what makes it challenging is that, again, there's that 10-year-old boy that's on the other side through the pane glass. But now, instead of you looking through a pane glass, you're looking at a mirror mm -hmm. and it's coming back at you. And so, um, you know, sometimes it's easier to, you know, impart the instruction than when it happens to you. And you're right. It does build a little bit of that scar tissue. You build that bank of experiences to say, Hey, you know, I, I kind of got through that one. I got through this, you know, going to come out on the other end on this one. So that's, that's, that's good feedback. Good thoughts. So I'd like to transition as we're wrapping up here to a lightning round of questions, just about various topics. The first one I'd like to ask you about Ben is your top marriage or relationship advice. Well, I, don't, I don't know if I got the um, uh, put the seat down after you're done going with us, put the seat down. That would probably be number one. I, I, I think in marriage, man, I think that you got to make your, your wife the top priority or your spouse the top priority. That's where the team starts, especially as you grow your team. You know, you got one, right? You said seven. You know, I got four. So I, I think the foundation of that team is the, the, the husband and the wife, and that's got to be the priority. You know, that, that, that relationship's got to be the bedrock, got to be the, it's got to be the foundation for the, for the team. So I, I would say, um, besides putting, besides putting the seat down, I would say make your spouse <laughs> the top priority and in, in your thoughts and what you do. Are, are there any practical ways that you've been able to do that in your marriage, especially here I am with one kid. I, I, I can't, I can't quite imagine what it would be like. It's, it's hard enough with one kid. I can't imagine how hard that is with four kids to, yeah. to really prioritize. Cause obviously there's always competing things of there's work, there's ambition, yep. there's kids, there's all these different things that, you know, that, that come into play that can easily, what, what starts out easy in a marriage. And for those listeners who are maybe early in a, in a marriage, you know, it, it does, it can get to a point where you're just roommates if you're not careful and you're not prioritizing, you kind of wake up and you're like, oh man, how did we get here? So I'm just curious from, from your perspective, if there's been things that you've done to help keep the marriage as a top priority. 
I would say the biggest thing is just to carve out some space, whether it's each week or each month or whatever, just, just ensure you're carving out space where it's, uh, it's you and your spouse, right. Um, you know, away from kids, away from family. So you can have some candid conversation, just some, some time to enjoy each other, you know, that you did when you were first dating, you know, and try to try to keep, keep that going. So that, that'd probably be the, the one thing that comes to mind. So obviously you already mentioned you have four kids. Uh, tell us your top parenting advice. Well, I, I think it reverts a little bit back to the coaching, but probably at a higher level, you, you got to not only tell them that you love them, you got to show them by your actions. And so I, I think that's a, you know, we, I, I mentioned being a caring communicator as a coach. Um, I think your children are somewhat in the same uh, realm there. Um, they know you love them and you got to show it. Uh, and number two is, you know, especially in today's day and age, um, there's a fine line there between being the friend and the father, you know, my, my, my boy, he's got a ton of friends, you know, he needs a father. And so that is setting a standard and, you know, being, being able to, you know, determine what's right and wrong. And I think that starts at an early age. I think that starts at a very, very early age. Um, it's so easy nowadays. What I see um, in today's world is uh, when, you know, your son or your, they're over there, here, just give them the phone. Here, go go sit on the iPad for 20 minutes, right? And so you lose that connection. And I think that's a little bit of what technology has done is, you know, you want to keep the, keep the child quiet, especially in an early age, right? One, two, three, right? You don't want to be bothered. Give them the iPad. They sit and they stare at it for 30, 45 minutes where, um, you know, it used to be, all right, let's go outside and chase a ball around. Mm -hmm. and so um, I would say it's still okay to go chase the ball around. Um, that's, that's me. I would, I would recommend that boy, girl, whatever mm -hmm. that, that connection that you have is, is try to fill that space. Instead of giving the iPad, give some love, give a ball, go get connected. Mm -hmm. That's really, that's really good. Uh, I'd like to ask you, so what is one habit, routine, or ritual that has made the biggest positive difference for you? Um, without overthinking it, I, I write things down. Hmm. That's, that's probably my biggest thing. I, I write things down because if I don't, I actionable items, because if I don't write it down, I'll either forget it or I won't do it. So either each morning or before I set the, you know, before I close it down the previous day, I write down um, not only what, you know, I, I kind of keep a running like journal, if you will, you know, because mm -hmm. I can always look back a couple of years. Hey, what did I do on that day? Or what did I do? And I think um, that just keeps my mind fresh. And also I, I write it down, my, my task list. So pretty simple, but um, been effective. All right. You've piqued my curiosity. So I, I, I want to break this down a little bit. So do you have multiple notebooks that you write stuff down into? No, because notebooks you end up losing. So it's all on a computer nowadays. Okay. So I got the Excel worksheet and each day is a, each week is a tab. Oh. So the last 10 years. So I have an open tab. Eric Mangini taught me that when I was with the Jets. Really? And that is a potpourri of ideas. Maybe it was a football concept. Maybe it was something that happened in life. On my computer, this laptop that I sit on, I've got an Excel spreadsheet and I've got a tab for each week since the past 10 years. Are you serious? I mean, I, you know, I get, again, notebooks all over the place, right? And then you're trying to find them. But 
you know, I have a daily notes log for each of the last 10 years. And so what was really like when I was in the league is, um, you know, it's a rhythmic kind of thing. So it'd be like, okay, uh, first week in April, what did we do five years ago? What do we do four years ago? Oh, shoot. I forgot to do that. You know what I mean? So. Wow. All in Excel, all from your computer, not from your phone. Correct. Just on an Excel tab. And then daily, like, Hey, what's the next thing? That's where I write it down. Like, all right, here, here's what I got to do today. Okay. So simple, simple daily tasks, go to the notebook, more thought journaling goes into the Excel sheet that has the weekly tab for the past 10 years. Yep. And that can be personally or professionally, you know, like, wow. Oh my God, yesterday was my wife's anniversary. It was our anniversary. <laughs> I'm joking. I didn't, but it, just and, things that you end up doing, you know, that kind of hmm. can spark uh, a thought or something that you can learn, grow, you know, and you can, you can, you can grow from it. Is there a time of day that you hop on the Excel sheet like every day or is it, is it somewhat random? No, it's, you... what's the word I'm looking for? It's like continuous. It's dynamic. Okay. Like, well, kind of type this in like, Hey, you know, talk to Cal, great experience, intentional leadership, you know, that kind of deal or, um, wow. Thoughts that came to mind. And then I love that in a year from now, I might look back and be like, Oh, that was a pretty cool conversation we had. That's so neat. Well, thanks for sharing uh, that. Yeah, just the thought. No, I, I'm always looking for ways to journal more effectively or to capture the tasks that I have floating around in my head. Cause you know, kind of the David Allen idea, like the brain is just not a good place to store stuff. It just doesn't, it doesn't work well. I, I forget too many things. So I'm always trying to get it on paper or get it into some type of digital form. The problem with what I find to not to spend too much time on this is just, I get there's, there are too many options. So you've got, I could do it on a word document in my computer, but then I don't have it on my phone or on my phone. There are apps or I could use my notes app. So I think what I appreciate too, about your method is it's simple and it's just, and it's, you do it consistently. Like every day you do it consistently. And that's gotta be cool too, being able to look back and be like, Hey, (laughs) on such and such week, you know, five years ago, this is what I was thinking about. Yeah, because I think like what happens with the hard the hard notebooks is you end up being a football coach after 15 years and you get a box of playbooks that sit over there. <laughs> you got a playbook, the defensive playbook from the 2008 Jets. Okay, and the yeah. thing weighs like, you know, the whole box weighs like 150 pounds. Right. If we can store it digitally, it's easy. Oh, yeah. Just a food for thought. No, that's that's excellent. Thank you for for sharing that. So, uh, next question: What's the best advice you've received? Um, I, I think it's like if you, if you get neck, if you get knocked down, make sure you get back up. You know, it may take a while. You know, it may take a take a little bit of time to get off the canvas, but you got to get back up and you got to keep moving. That's that's what I think. Hmm. Who is one leader that you really look up to? And why? Uh, well, personal experience in the football world, Dan Quinn, who is, I think he's an exceptional leader, um, exceptional, not only football mind, but has a, a, a ton of the characteristics that we just talked about. He's a genuine, caring person. He's always thinking football. He's always thinking of betterment of the team. I thought when I was in the military, my two battalion commanders were really good. Um, yeah, I had a uh, when I was in Korea, Stephen Ingalls, I think he does some leadership platform stuff. And so does Ron Lewis. Those two in the military were really good. Lewis, uh, Colonel Lewis, who I think was ended up being a general. He, uh, he 
he was uh, phenomenal. And so was uh, just good, you know, hard charging, um, on point and inspired you to, uh, to do better. That's awesome. Any, anything that we didn't talk about? So we talked about a lot of leadership characteristics in the, in the context of coaching, uh, anything about Dan Quinn that stands out to you that we didn't talk about in terms of just his leadership? Um, I, I think I just touched base on it. Um, as far as being a, um, a, a genuine person, I think that he was one that, uh, players really, you know, connected with. He was one that, you know, players felt like, Hey, this guy's got my best interest in. Yeah. I think he was, he was a guy that was always thinking about improvement, right? Whether it be, Hey, here's a note and he put it on your desk and, um, he had a great tone of being positive. I think the one thing about Q was uh, very, very positive. Very, even when things were just would rebound and um, just really had a positive outlook on things and really, you know, I just uh, really valued our time together. Hmm. That's great. Uh, I'll give you the last word, uh, Ben. Thanks so much for being on today. Anything else you want to share with the, the leaders out there before we wrap it up? Um, I, I would just say, well, first off, I, r- I really appreciate the, the space this morning. Um, uh, really great opportunity. I think what you're doing is really, really cool. Um, if there's any way that I can help moving forward, um, I think in general in leadership, um, as in coaching, you got to be who you are. Don't try to be somebody else. You may gather, uh, things in your kit bag to take the aviation, uh, analogy out of it. You can put stuff in your kit bag and you're going to do that, right? You're going to meet different leaders. Hey, that guy did that and that worked out pretty well. But you, at the at your core, you've got to be who you are. And if you are, uh, you know, a certain personality, don't try to be somebody else. Again, I've seen effective leaders in do it different ways. You know, Eric Mangini, when I was at um, uh, with the Jets, was different than Rex Ryan. I mean, they were completely different spectrum, but but effective. Um, you know, in the military, I mentioned Stephen Ingalls was different than Ron Lewis. You still have to be at your core who you are and um, believe in your in, in in the values that you have. So, uh, just be yourself. That's probably one of the biggest things that I would suggest. That's awesome. Well, Ben, thanks so much. I, I have really enjoyed this conversation today, and I know that we've all gotten a lot of it. I wish you the best of luck as as you uh, navigate the, these next few months. And uh, again, just thanks so much for for sharing your your wisdom with us today and inspiring us to be better coaches and better leaders. Thanks, Kel. Appreciate the time, bud. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ben. What a great leader and inspiration. I love what he said about being a caring communicator. I think that's so important as leaders. It was so neat to revisit Coach Bobby Ross, who for me was such a great example of someone who took the time to get to know his players, but also was willing to hold us accountable. And I really remember being an Army football player, playing at West Point, in watching Bobby Ross be that consistent leader who focused on the process. I also loved what Ben said about the difference maker between good players and great NFL players. It really boils down to their mindset. And finally, I really enjoyed the habit that he shared about the Excel sheet that he uses every day. What a great method for journaling. If you enjoyed today's conversation with Ben, please consider sharing it with someone in your network 
I really appreciate all of you that spread the word about this show. Also consider leaving us a rating, a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us grow. And if you would like to partner with us financially, if you would like to help us cover some of our expenses, help us grow and reach more people, especially the young leaders. We're really trying to help fill the gap in leadership instruction that we see for those new leaders that are out there. If you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Cal Walters, and you can join our Patreon team. Also, go to Facebook and join the Intentional Leader Lab so you can learn from other leaders where we help leaders gain resources, solve problems, and grow together. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here today. I do not take that for granted. I know you are giving this show your most valuable resource, your time. I appreciate you. I'm rooting you on. Remember that life is short, so let's go make it count.